Good morning, and welcome back. So our first question is written by somebody who asks a very personal question on a subject matter that the Bible is silent on and does not speak about. And rather than reading that question, I'm just going to say to the person who wrote that question that the Bible is silent on it. That means you have to prayerfully come to your own conclusion in your own mind, and no one can actually tell you what the right answer to that question is. Okay, next, uh, there was a series of posts made by an individual that uh, four, four different very long ones with many Bible texts and other elements uh, related, and it was, to me, um, very confusing. Um, eight or ten different Bible texts asking me to compare them all and so forth. Uh, I, I, I'm going to suggest that you go back, rework your concern, make your question more succinct and focused, and then resubmit, and we'll try to answer. But it was very, very... Um, long, and uh, I didn't really know where you were going with it. Next question. Since the Trinity is a three-entity collaboration, can I pray to the Holy Spirit just like I pray to the Father? Does each entity grant answers to prayer? Do you have a blog or study uh, on the complete operation of the Holy Spirit? So I would encourage you to type in Trinity. We have several blogs in the Trinity and talk about the different, um, mo- uh, different, um, different uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, roles. Thank you different roles that the Godhead has decided to take upon themselves. It's not that uh, in the beginning any one of them had different limitations or abilities. They, they took different roles for purposes, and we described that. Can you pray to the Holy Spirit? Absolutely, you can pray to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's fully God, just like Jesus is fully God, just like the Father's fully God. Um, and all of them are invested in bringing glory to the other. Uh, the Father glorified the Son. The Son glorified the Father. The Spirit brings glory to the Son, and so forth. None of them are seeking advantage for themselves. They're all other-centered. So, of course you can. Can you explain Mark 14.27 in the Good News translation where it says, God will kill the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered? And so um, let's. Uh, this is a great question, and we will read it out of the Good News. It says, Jesus said to them, all of you will run away and leave me, for the scripture says, God will kill the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. So first principle, when you read something like this, okay, well, first question is what law lends. But the first principle, before you even ask that question, you want to know if this is an accurate translation. If the Bible really says this, or is this something that the translator put in there? So the the first principle would be, um, go check other translations. Get a variety of English translations and see if they all say the same thing. Then next, you can go to Greek and and uh, the, the lexicons and see if it's actually in the original language. And, and, and so what we'll do, we'll look at some others. This is out of the NIV. You will all fall away, Jesus told them, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And then that's what the, all the others, only the good news says God will strike the shepherd, but the all others say I. But if you read it and you look it up, you'll discover that this is actually a quotation from Zechariah 13.7. Jesus is actually quoting Zechariah. So if you go to the original source, it might give you a clue of what Jesus is, is, is saying because he's quoting. And so you go to Zechariah 13.7 and it says, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is close to me, declares the Lord Almighty. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. There is no God will strike. There is no I will strike. It is, strike the shepherd, and, I will, and the sheep will be scattered. It's describing that the shepherd will be struck, and the sheep will scatter. And if you go back into the Greek, it actually doesn't have God in the Greek. It's not there. That word is added by the translators. So this is a great example of how the translators come to the text with good hearts and virtuous intentions, 
but with a bias or a presupposition that God's law works like human law, and justice therefore requires a lawgiver to punish lawbreakers, and Jesus as our substitute took our place, so therefore it's only sensible that God put the punishment on Jesus, and therefore God had to strike him. And this is where they get there, because they have the wrong law lens. It is not supported in the Scripture. It's projected in. And this is why most of the Bible translations um, lead to lots of legal conclusions, because every single Bible translation that you know of has been done after the Roman church, after the Reformation, after the Roman church introduced the imperial law concept into uh, dogma, and it's accepted. And essentially all translators never even question that as a reality. They just assume it's true. And so they translate honestly, but they have a filter or a bias. And when you translate, if anybody speaks more than one language, you know that there are options you have on what words you choose and how you translate. And depending on what you think the inflection is or the intonation is or the connotation is, you can choose a different word and get completely different meanings. And that's what happens. They think it's penal legal, so they choose legitimately penal legal options many times, but sometimes they'll add words in because they think it makes it more clear, it actually makes it more obscure. You see this in other places, like when Jesus say, said, I, if I be lifted up, will draw all into me. That's what, it, that's what it says in the Greek. Every translation inserts a word, I will draw all men unto me. Well, men's not in the Greek. It's I will draw all into me. And if you put uh, other scripture together, this is the great controversy view, that, uh, that it says, I think it's in Colossians 1, 18 to 20, that uh, through Christ all things in heaven and in earth are reconciled to God at the cross. So it's heavenly things are being reconciled. It's the whole universe is when Christ is lifted up. He draws all back to him in loyalty and devotion. So, but if you have a bias and you insert these certain these things. My condolences to you and your family when a person, and then, then it goes on to a question. When a person uh, doesn't want to be baptized a second time, the Seventh-day Adventist Church uses Acts 19 to prove that a person can be rebaptized. What we quoted in class today, you were baptized into John, but you weren't baptized in Jesus, so there's a second baptism going on. Um, that person can be rebaptized by water. And, um, but the Bible says there's one Lord, one baptism, and they take that to mean that the one baptism is the baptism of immersion. Uh, do you agree with this? Uh, no. Uh, I, I do believe the Bible teaches baptism of immersion, but the one baptism is not talking about the ceremony. Can a person be saved without having their heart and mind immersed in the Holy Spirit and being reborn? Did the thief on the cross get saved, the one? The one that Jesus promised. Did he experience salvation? Yes. That means his heart and mind experienced immersion in the Holy Spirit. He was reborn into trust. Yes or no? Did he go through water immersion? Water immersion is not required for salvation. It's a symbol of the heart and mind being immersed into the regenerating, cleansing, and and restorative powers of the Holy Spirit. And so we do do the ceremony as a public statement and a confirmation, but but that, that water ceremony has no saving power. The saving power is what it represents. And the reality, the one, one baptism, the one immersion, is the immersion of the entire being into the cleansing waters of the Holy Spirit that cleanses us on the inside. So that's my understanding of it. And that's all the questions we have for today. So let's, let's just... Is there any in the room before I, I close? Gracious Father in heaven, thank you again for your love and for the wisdom that you've given us. We pray that we will be effective in advancing your kingdom in this world. We pray in your holy name. Amen. Amen.